because of this confluence of four disruptors, including the X factor of the shrinking workforce, mitigation and, and recovery will be different this time and it will require some strategically different approach, right? So we've talked about defensive postures, layoffs, delaying, investment. Those may be necessary, but they will not be enough alone. The goal here is to position your company to thrive in a new normal of continuous disruption. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hello, and welcome to today's Business Acceleration Podcast episode, which we're calling The Next Downturn Will Be Different, Here's How to Respond. I'm Gary Baker, Global Communications Director for the Hackett Group. My guests today are Rick Pastor, Senior Director and Technology Research Advisor here at the Hackett Group, and Michael Jansen, who is our Chief Market Intelligence Officer. Hi, Rick, and hi, Michael. Hello. Hello, everybody. Michael, why don't you kind of start out by telling us a little bit about, you kind of drove this research, you know, what triggered your interest, and why were you interested in having Hackett look at this? Yeah, thank you, Gary. And yes, you know, we've all been dealing with the economic uncertainty and lots of uh, lots of waves in the ocean, if you will, in terms of uncertainty. We've been talking about inflation, certainly making headlines that it hasn't made before in the last 40 years. I'm old enough to remember when inflation was double digits or nearly double digits, but most executives have not been in decision-making roles. So we're dealing with inflation. It has uh, significant repercussions for, for consumers and businesses alike. Uh, recession, we've had recessions over time. They all are different and they all have different contexts and they are all solved slightly different. But for the most part, businesses, executives have had experience in these and know how to handle them with most respects. The current geopolitical turmoil, yes, it's different this time, but it's more of the same in the big picture. Right now we have conflicts in, in certainly in Europe with uh, Ukraine and Russia, certainly in the, uh, the Far East with uh, China, certainly creating some, some tensions there uh, on a global global basis. But again, not that com- completely without precedent. But the one I'll add here, you know, if you look at this kind of as a quadruple threat, the one I'll add here that we've never had before is a shrinking worker supply. And this is one that, you know, is, is as you think about where we're at, most people are not actually familiar with that. We've hit a point in our demographics where we're actually seeing reduced numbers of new workers coming into the market compared to the last five or 10 years. I take a, spend a lot of time talking people through a population pyramid and uh, what you quickly realize when you look at North America and Europe is the population pyramid uh, with different demographic basis is no longer a pyramid. In fact, what it looks like is a, it goes to a pyramid and then starts to actually shrink over the last 20 years. And so, you know, you take the combination of inflation, recession, geopolitical turmoil, and then you add into it a shrinking worker supply it's going to create a different set of dynamics that we have never had before. And so, Rick, how do you see these things playing out in that case? Well, I mean, I think our clients in in, in the uh, business services functions, like you said, they can handle all of the other three even together. I mean, maybe they're not as familiar with inflation, but they know recessions. They know geopolitical impacts that, that they can expect. But when you add the fourth one, this shrinking worker supply, it actually 
undermines a lot of the capabilities and mitigation strategies that might be used to deal with inflation, recession, and geopolitical impact. So it's it's an X factor, really. And some examples of that could be, let's say, inflation here for a minute. You can exacerbate inflation due to upward pressure in wages and salaries just to retain the workers you have. Okay, I think we're seeing that already feeding into the inflation numbers. The shrinking worker supply also increases product and service price inflation because the supply is more limited. You don't have the workers to to build the products, to import the products, and to distribute them. When you look at recession, the smaller worker supply increases revenue erosion because there are fewer workers to fulfill demand. Even as demand shrinks in a recession, you've got to have workers to, to produce the materials. And if you're short, then you know, you'll get less revenue for it. It also intensifies the temptation to uh, postpone or cancel investment in opportunities and digital transformation because there's just a lack of manpower and critical skills to do that work. So heck, if we don't have the people to do it, and we're under a lot of demand pressure and, and inflation pressure, let's just postpone everything. And, and that's the wrong thing to do, unfortunately. And then in, in the geopolitical area, you can see greater supply chain disruptions in sectors that have severe worker shortages, as well as, um, you know, with less people to fill these jobs. Your disaster-related shutdowns, can occur in regions where you have, unfortunately, a higher concentration of workers than others. I'm talking about, for example, India. So if something goes wrong in India, like a massive drought or, or epidemic, and you've got a lot of workers concentrated there rather than distributed, you're going to have a bigger impact from that. So, Rick, let me jump in here for a second. I think you know one of the challenges in all this is what policymakers do in response. And many times the way that policymakers respond to inflation would be that they would raise interest rates and that would quell down and, and bring down inflation. But in the case of a demographic issue like we're dealing with, that may not be a natural uh, solution to the, to, the, to the challenge. It's quite likely that we could, could raise interest rates and that will, will not sufficiently tamp down demand unless you go you know, all the way to de- like depression era. So I think that the shortage of workers is continuing to be there, and that'll keep the inflationary impulses on that side of the equation when the supply and demand is out of whack on, on, the, on, the, on the talent level. That's going to create a, a set of dynamics where policymakers don't really have a lot of good options. So they, can't, they can't print more babies that are 20 years old. <laughs> and, and the natural approach to recession is staff reductions, right? So yeah. if you reduce the, the number of, of folks you have in a market where it's going to be hard to replace them with, with new workers, then you're really kind of cutting off y- your legs for the ability to emerge from the recession and get uh, and make up some of that revenue quickly. And, and you're just going to be handicapped, really. Yeah. I think a good recession actually would help quell the imbalance, but it's not going to actually make it go where we have an excess supply uh, like we would normally see. Yeah, I agree. Guys, we've talked a little bit about how this is different from from past situations. Rick, can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, typical mitigation moves that are unlikely to work as well as they have been in the past? Yeah, well, I did just mention uh, cutting staff, but let's say you you delay spending 
and you curtail your new investments while we're in a recession, well, that's going to actually delay your transformation to a more agile digital operating model. And the performance level that we talk about in Hackett, which is digital world-class performance. And why is that a bad thing? Because if you're transforming to be more agile, then you'll be better able to deal with future disruptions like these. If you're, if you're still stuck on legacy infrastructure for technology, for example, rather than having most of it in the cloud, then you're going to be you're going to be delayed and and slow and being able to scale up or down depending on what happens to your marketplace. So so that's just one example. You may also see that to retain workers, you boost salaries, you add benefits, you do signing bonuses to attract more workers. But because we also have inflation, that will exacerbate the pressure uh, on wages and push inflation higher. There's a matrix of threads here. And if you pull one thread to help one of these disruptions be a little less severe, that thread might actually make a different disruption more severe. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a four-part matrix of, of challenges here. And they're so interrelated that you just can't deal with it linearly. You have to deal with all of them at the same time. And this supply, worker supply shortage in Europe and North America is just, it's unprecedented. It's just going to be something that really makes it, really ties your hands in some way. Michael, what can you tell us about, uh, you know, the alternative strategies that are more likely to work or that, that you know, Hackett would recommend that people use? Yeah, so, so, so Gary, I don't want to create a, a pessimistic tone in this in the session i actually want to drive it to be kind of an optimistic tone is you know there's always the statement never let a good disaster or good recession go untended or unutilized to take up take advantage of opportunities and so i look at this and say yes we're gonna have to do many of the things we would normally do in in to mitigate some of the things we've talked about here but i think if you really focus in on the productivity aspect of of this whole equation so if the if the root challenge or the root cause of what many of this is is going to be a decreasing level of, of supply of workers and an imbalance there between between those automation and productivity really is a big part of the solution and so here at Hackett we've kind of assembled four different areas that will help mitigate the overall talent conversation and in, bring it back into you know what businesses can specifically do so our first one is really enable engagement from anywhere I think COVID took us a long ways when we all kind of moved from the office to the in-home environment. We're going to rebound back the other way. But I think that also enabled us to think about this in terms of global talent pools and the ability to work anywhere with different resource experience levels and cost structures allows us to continue that that trend and uh, really think about this as a truly global opportunity in terms of, of work from anywhere. The second part of this would be double down on India. So India has progressed substantially in the last 20 years in terms of its capability, and it can, continues to impress with what it can do. It's not the solution for everything, but it certainly is a big opportunity. And the demographics are quite favorable. So while I talked about a, uh, an imbalance between North America and Europe of something like a shortfall of 2.8 million workers compared to where we've been, India has a surplus or additional workers to the tune of 2.5 million. You can also say, you know, double down on India, but I'd also encourage you to think about Africa. Africa is still the only place in the world today where they actually have a full pyramid. So they actually have the biggest and the most robust population pyramid 
in the world today. And while it's not as mature as some of the other industries in terms of access and skill set, it's certainly an up and coming. And I would suggest based on my experiences, it's uh, similar to where India was perhaps 20 years ago. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Michael. And in fact, when you look at the pyramid, the latest pyramid for India, it is not a perfect pyramid. There, the the youngest generation is shrinking a little compared to the previous generation. So they're they're going to be experiencing some shrinkage, not not as severe as you're seeing in Europe and North America, but it's not an unlimited supply of workers in India. You know, other places in the world right now, China. China is, is, is absolutely challenging, so as well as Japan. In fact, Japan's actually now not only seeing a decreasing number of workers coming into the place, but actual raw population or overall population numbers are down. The third part of the, 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 the equation here is automate every transaction. And, you know, I've been doing some, uh, we've been working with clients on a specific study in, in the C2C area, and it's amazing to hear the level of automation that's being, that's being put in place. Uh, for those that are installing some of the new technologies, uh, whether they just focus in on the the customer experience or the uh, the employee experience, the, the availability to put, provide automation, including a layer of AI into the into the into the mix, is incredible. And uh, we look at it across the board and say, you know, automate, 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 make your existing workforce more productive, and make your customers more productive as well at the same time. We uh, actually isolated core transaction automation in our benchmark program. And if you take finance as a, as a function, only 58% of finance core transactions are currently automated among the peer group that we benchmarked. But for top performers, that level reaches 92%. That's a huge gap and a huge opportunity for, for peer companies to, to boost that level of uh, core transaction automation. In HR, it's almost the same. 59% of peer group HR organizations are rather Peer group HR organizations have automated 59% of their core transactions, but top performing HR organizations have automated 94%. So there's there's a big opportunity, like you said, and don't you know don't waste it. Use it to accelerate those automation investments because they're going to free you from having to have as much of a staff working on transactions. And, and hopefully uh, you can repurpose some of those positions, eliminate some of those positions through this effort. Yeah. And, and the fourth one, I, where Rick, I know you're going to have something to say on this one, but going all in on cloud, certainly part of the automation is, is some of the, the, the very unique SaaS platforms are becoming available. But cloud allows you that agility and the ability to, to layer these into some of your existing platforms. Uh, without, without complete disruptions, they're you know, more of their rifle shots into, into value and potentials there as well. I think that one of the one of the impacts of moving your infrastructure to cloud is you can free up the people who used to do the updates, the maintenance, the break fixes on these these systems that you've migrated. You can free them up and redirect their roles toward innovation, creating new functionality and features, for example. And in a cloud study that we did Late last year, we actually showed that the increase in developer time focused on innovation rather than those other less strategic tasks, it increases 29% in the average company for each application that is migrated. Great stuff. 
I guess this is a question uh, for the both of you. Can we put a little bit of a, a functional lens on this? Uh, you know, if I'm the CEO or the CFO or the CIO, or head of HR, procurement or shared services, what action should I be taking now specifically to wrestle with the shrinking workforce issue? Yeah, so, so Gary, you know, if you're an, a finance leader, you know, you do need to partner with your HR uh, on the wages, the retention and building that 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 hybrid culture, the remote culture that we were talking about, those policies need to continue to, to evolve and mature as we as we move away from this being a COVID issue and moving this into a global talent supply. Uh, finance leaders need to be very cognizant of that. And then it's also about building the brand of your organization, both internally and externally. Uh, look for that to become a most desired place to work. What are you trying to do to build that reputation and, and, the, and the culture around that? And look for growth and enhancing growth and development. So some of the technologies allow you to migrate from the raw transactional work into more of the insight driven, more value for the business and more value for the for the employee. Beyond that, for the HR, the reskilling and upskilling, I think there's a lot of opportunity to to think about as as the technologies get put in place here. How do you go about reskilling those those team members? So as I've been talking to clients just over the last few days and hours, it literally is. You know, there's almost like a, a, a layer of, well, there's the older part of the workforce that are resisting technology because they still like to do it the old way, uh, you know, paper and, and phone calls uh, are almost, you know, green screens are okay with them versus the newer generations that say, listen, I, you know, I expect to have robust technology implementations. I want the information to be available. I don't want to have to go through uh, cutting and pasting from different screens and, and some of the manual interventions that go on with the older technologies. So really look at that and then investing in the employee retention. You know, it's going to be a whole lot easier to retain an employee than it is to, to attract ones. On the flip side of that, you know, there is the uh, the need to probably purge some of the organiz- some of the team um, that, that is less productive. And maybe they have embraced the remote working environment too much <laughs> and are taking advantage of the company in that, and sometimes in, the, in those situations. So that actually becomes a, an issue within the organization they need to address to make those that might be, quote unquote, slackers. <laughs> Uh, or taking advantage of the system, those don't become the, the, the new standard for the organization. Yeah. Our, our research and others, though, do show that most home-based uh, remote employees actually had better productivity than they did at the office. Uh, whether that'll stay the same, we don't know. But to retain people that you already have is the number one goal in HR, and that's going to include being flexible. Not not marching everyone back into the office uh, for forty plus hour work weeks is one of those flexibility areas that's going to help retain. You you hear about this concept called uh, quiet quitting, where people who are not really feeling good about their current positions they just do the minimum amount of work. They're not they're not investing themselves in in the um, best interests of the company at large and and. Those people are missing something. They're missing flexibility. They're missing uh, a sense of of why their work matters. And some of them can be turned around. And then you don't have to find somebody, you know, in India or Africa to replace those people necessarily, or or wherever your your hiring base happens to be. And that, like Mike said, that's a lot harder. In the technology functions, we have a couple of things to deal with on, on worker shortages, we've got to leverage smart automation for IT services management to a greater degree than than most are right now. If you can intelligently automate service delivery 
to your stakeholders internally, you're going to be able to reduce and repurpose IT staff positions to a much more innovative approach. I already mentioned that that 29% increase uh, around cloud. Then the other, other key thing is you've got to enable the technology employees at least to be as productive in remote and less developed locations as they would be in your corporate headquarters building. So if you're going to if you're going to be able to hire more people from say Eastern Europe or the Indian subcontinent or Asia or Africa or South America then they have to be able to be virtually identical in capability, access, connectivity as any of your uh, employees based in North America or Western Europe. And, and technology can make that possible to a great extent. We saw it during the COVID shutdown. So this is really, uh, this is on the shoulders of the CIO and they need to carry that ball. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the expectation for the retaining those employees too, or, or attracting employees is that they are dealing with that modern suite of technology. In procurement, again, you've got to evaluate your compensation versus market rates and make sure that you've got uh, you can compete in that area. You've got to embed responsible procurement into your your processes to support an ethic of work with a purpose. Why are people doing this? Is it is it sustainable? Is it helping when you're purchasing from you know less advantaged organizations or groups? It's going to increase the workers pride in in doing procurement and that's going to increase retention and finally in gbs which is kind of everything rolled together you've got to make sure you've got some contingent workers ready and available for for knowledge intensive and and transactional work and you've got to make sure that you're looking to open gbs centers in offshore locations that have good future talent ability. You don't want to open them in a shrinking market that will be harder and harder to keep fully staffed. A lot of great content there, guys. Rick, can you kind of take a step back and give us a a summary of key takeaways? Yeah, this is what we're advising folks to, to do because of this confluence of four disruptors, including the X factor of the shrinking workforce. Mitigation and, and recovery will be different this time. And it will require some strategically different approach, right? So we've talked about defensive postures, layoffs, delaying investment. Those may be necessary, but they will not be enough alone. The goal here is to position your company to thrive in a new normal of continuous disruption. And they may be these four factors again, or they may be a different uh, set of factors coming together, but there will be more of this. So the company has to has to mobilize and accelerate its transformation. Let's look at a few things just to sum up. Don't stop digital transformation, for God's sake. Accelerate it if you can. Use market intelligence and detailed benchmarking to surgically prune costs while protecting those strategic investments that you know are going to carry you well-positioned into the future. You've got to also, there's a data component here. You've got to find share and analyze the right data to get smarter about managing things like working capital in in this kind of a crisis and to manage your supply chain risk, for example. Data unlocks that. It's, It's better to leverage data now to make the right decisions. And then ultimately, data will help you operate with 
ongoing agility because you'll you'll know what's happening and you'll know it real time. A couple more, you've got to build the brand's attractiveness to talent. And, and you're going to do that through progressive remote and hybrid workforce policies and capabilities to back that up. And then lastly, invest in hiring and contracting and outsourcing in countries where you've got increasing worker demographics as opposed to shrinking worker demographics. It's just, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a challenge to do that, but certainly technology teams have been doing that with outsourcing since the 1980s. So there's a pattern you can follow. There's a way to investigate the area, make sure it's viable. And there's a way to make sure that the folks you hire there are as connected as any other worker. That's what I would say would be the the key takeaways from from this research and key recommendations. Michael, would you have anything to add to that? No, Rick, I think you've covered it well. I mean, it's it's a reminder that uncertainty has always been part of the business environment. What makes it a little different is this really this quadruple threat that we've been talking about here and with the X factor of the shrinking workforce. That's something we've never had to deal with and it's not easily overcome. But, you know, go back to the things we've been talking about trying to increase increase the productivity of your workforce with the automation and technology and also trying to increase the productivity of your of your clients or your customers is also a great thing. So now I think yeah it'll be it's gonna be interesting to watch this over the next few years and stay with us. Great stuff, gentlemen. Thanks to both of you for joining me today. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Gary. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackagroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackagroup.com. Thank you.